It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome into episode 31 of From the Braves Booth. Happy to have you with us, and we have got a show for you today. We have uh, a fill-in guest today. Joe's not with us today, so uh, it's myself, Ben Ingram, alongside Jonathan Chadwick, and Peter Moylan joining us today. Pete, welcome into the radio booth, man. G'day, Ben. G'day. How are you? Did I do that right? You did. All right. What do you think about this, man? You're doing um, radio today and tomorrow? I'm pretty fired up, I'll be honest with you. I'm a little nervous. I don't know how different it is, but I figure that if I can just be myself like I am in most places, uh-huh. things should work out okay. That's all you need to do. You've already got it down with the attire. Correct. Jeans, button up. Yep. I mean, that's what we do. We don't have to look good, even though we do. Correct. We just have to sound good. You sound, let me tell you, your voice is one that I've listened to for a long time. You were built for this. Thank you. You were built to do this job. When I'm driving home and I listen to your voice or when I'm not on the road or I'm listening to you, whatever it happens to be, your voice just carries and it's it's so recognizable, you know exactly who you're talking to and listening to at any minute and well, I love it. Well, we've been, you and I have been wanting to do this for a while <laughs> and we finally get to it. I know JC's going to jump down here with us in a little while, but I think it's perfect today to bring you in on trade deadline day because the Braves get uh, a few new faces and as we're recording this, we're recording this at, at 5 till 3 p.m., uh, Eastern time. So there's still three hours until the trade deadline. So maybe something else happens. But some of the biggest news of the day, Juan Soto goes from Washington to San Diego. The Braves get Robbie Grossman. They get Jake Odorizzi. But it's really interesting to me. We'll talk about the guys that they got. But who they gave up, I think, might be as interesting as anything because going into the trade deadline, I don't think we ever thought Will Smith would be part of a deal going the other way. No, then the crazy part was I was listening to radio on the way in and, and it's two, a deal between two buyers, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a, it's a role swap. You need someone in the back end of your bullpen and we need some starting depth. Let's make a trade. It's just, it's not one that anybody ever saw coming. And that's the kind that I like because you see all these predictions, you know, the list of guys that should be traded every year. But it's the ones that come out of the out of the woodwork that I think are the most exciting. The ones that GMs uh-huh. actually have to really think about, dive into the swapping of cash, the swapping of players, the swapping of you know. It's all it's all just it's a free for all, and the way that they do it is is fascinating to me. Isn't that so, Alex? Too right. I mean, wh- whether you're in first place or God forbid last place, he's still going to be interesting at the trade deadline and he's going to come up with interesting trades and creative trades that help his team and he does that again here we knew going in what the what the needs were for the braves needed a starting pitcher needed a bullpen uh, a reliever needed an outfielder and there's still time to do something else but given what the team has done to this point are you excited about what they've done and how can that benefit this ball club i really am excited i got a chance to be robbie grossman's teammate for a month in spring training with the astros in 2014 and he's an unbelievable guy switch hitting so that gives you flexibility in the lineup great outfielder as well so that gives you a little bit of defensive flexibility as i said to you the will smith deal is crazy to me uh I just think that we may be... Kirby Yates is coming back too. So the, right. the bullpen thing, I thought to myself, maybe we need a bullpen arm. But then at the point, at some point, you're going to have to kick someone out that probably deserves to be there. So I think with Kirby Yates coming back, that might be a move that, we, that, that will solidify our bullpen, given that 
Jansen's come back okay. He looks really good after he had that little scare the other day. He uh-huh. looked okay in the outing afterwards, so I'm not scared about that. Minter's had a couple of hiccups lately, but I think he'll be fine as well. Madsick is on his way back as well. I think the depth is there in that bullpen. So I just think, I think if we were to stay as it is right now, I still think we could be a very, very good team and make our way into and then shock some people in the playoffs. Because you'd probably say your two best righties at that point would be Kirby Yates and Colin McHugh. Yes, and McHugh's done nothing to to to, to waver my confidence in him, uh-huh. especially over the last couple of outings. He's been nasty. He's really got a hold of what made him so nasty with Tampa Bay last year. Yeah. That combination of the cutter and the slider and that curveball, you've got three pitches that all spin the same way. It's a new way. And I, I talked to him about how he discovered how to pitch this way. And it was almost by accident that he started throwing cutters up in the zone to lefties and he was getting really bad swings off them. Mm-hmm. So then he just kept repeating and repeating and noticing it was getting more and more swings. Coupled that with a bigger spinning slider with a little less velocity. And it's just really hard for hitters to be able to pick up and make a decision as to what pitch it is and, and how quick it's coming towards them. Yeah, it makes me feel good because you'll you'll say Kenley, McHugh, and and Yates. And by the way, what can what, what will Kirby Yates? What are your expectations for Kirby Yates? If he's, I said this the other night. If he's eighty percent of what he was in two thousand and nineteen, we've got ourselves an absolute stud because yeah. he was nasty. Uh, the video highlights that I've seen, the split finger fork, whatever he's going to call it these days, uh, is still pretty gross. And it's another guy that that two pitch guy that really tunnels relies on that top of the zone four seam fastball and then the the split finger off of that almost like a uh, a relieving Kevin Gosman. Yeah, okay. So it can work as a change up that split. Definitely. Well, which will be great to see him. We should see him pretty soon. And and then go ahead. He was at Gwinnett the last outing, so I would expect maybe a back-to-back or a two outing appearance and then we might see him. Okay. Which makes you feel good from with those three righties. And then with the lefties, here's the interesting thing. You knew that Mentor and Matzik going in, you'd be relying on them. No one expected Dylan Lee. He was pitching in the eighth inning the other night. And, and his curveball looks great. He, he's, he's throwing 93 with a fastball, but he's putting it where he wants. And, and I think that the emergence of Dylan Lee might have helped the Braves when it came to trading Will Smith. Because yeah. he kind of jumps into that role, doesn't he? One, I think he is probably the guy that is our... Uh, with Minter doing what he's doing right now, Dylan Lee's probably the number one lefty out there. Wow. So you think about that as a turnaround. He came up here with a little bit of a tryout last year to see if he'll make the playoff roster, did that, and then all of a sudden now he's become one of the beasts out there. And when you talk to him, when you look at him, he looks driven and focused, and it looks like all he wants to do is throw baseballs past people. Uh-huh. It's incredible to see that that transition and him accept the role that he's been given. And nope. Jesse Chavez as well. Right, right. I mean, he, you, you talk about two guys, and, and we knew that Jesse could do this because he saw it last year. Cubs didn't know that because he would have <laughs> had like a 6 ERA with them, but he comes back here and he's doing what he did last year. But Dylan Lee, Joe and I were joking about this the other day. If I, I told Joe, I said, if I had told you a year ago that you'd be relying on Dylan Lee late in ball games, you would have said, who in the world is Dylan Lee? Because we don't know who he was. Right. And the next thing you know, he's starting a World Series game, right. and, and he's continued to, to get better and better. I love watching uh, his, his uh, ascent forward into the, into the bullpen. It's almost the same with Strider. When Strider came back up at the, at the end of the year, like, mm-hmm. we'd heard a little bit about him because he was more of a, more of a prospect. But when he came up, the expectations were low. He proved himself. But then what he's done this year was not what I was expecting. He started in the bullpen, was so dominant that they felt that they moved into the starting rotation. He's now become probably a fourth starter. Yeah. So what a, what a transition for him as well. I just hope that he can he – can, and he's a hard worker, so I know he probably will be able to maintain it. But it's maintaining the five and six innings throughout the rest of the year. 
I think starting and if he continues to start the rest of the year, he'll be able to do it. But I think if the, if he has to move to the to the, to the pen, uh, that that may be a little bit worrying for me. But just because they they might want to limit his innings because it's been such a yeah. big workload jump from last I don't think year. He's thrown more than like ninety four innings. Or something like that. Somebody told me that he did a lot of throwing in college, but it's different. It's it's, it's and I've never went to college, so I can't speak in absolutes. But I understand that it's not the same kind of pressure or the same kind of intensity that you're going to be going through in the big leagues. Well, let me ask you this then. And this just crossed my mind. I'm going to interview Snit here in about an hour. I'll ask him all this. But you trade for Jake Odorizzi. One way you could limit innings for Spencer Strider is a six-man rotation. I don't know if they want to do that or not. I don't know if that Max Freed and Charlie Morton and Kyle Wright want to have an extra day. Who knows? But is that an option, or does does Odorizzi go right into the rotation and is somebody out? I think what you just said is is the most important thing. You don't want to throw off what Max Freed and Kyle Wright and Charlie Morton has found in the last couple of weeks. They're rolling right now, so mm-hmm. any kind of interruption to that kind of rhythm might be. Uh, I don't think you'd want to mess with that, and I don't think I've ever seen a six-man rotation work. Have you ever? Seen, I've never been a fan of them. I've never. Uh, when was the last time you saw one in action? When you see them, you don't see them long. It's like a team thinks they're going to be smarter right. than everybody else. They do it, and then two months later, they got a five-man rotation again. Have you noticed any openers this year? Have you, has there been a lot of openers this year? I, not especially Unless Tampa's not teams doing it. I don't. Right. I mean, that, they were the team that was doing it pretty much. I don't know, two out of three times at the rotation. I think we've learned our lessons with trying to mess with the, We've gone away from, hey, these guys are just ball throwers. Right. And you can just fit them into any mold you want. There are preparations that need to be done in order to fit whatever you are going to do. There's a different preparation for a starter than there is for a reliever. There's mm-hmm. a different in-season preparation. Everything changes. So I'm glad that they've gone away from just the, we're just all moving parts that you can just make us do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys love a, ro- a, a, a routine. You yeah. like structure. You want to know what your role is, what your expectations are for me. And, and I think once the pitcher knows that, and you just leave him alone, and, and he goes out there and does the job, my question is, what is that going to be for Odorizzi within the fold now and that was the craziest part about how this bullpen clicked into gear is that they no one had a role for the for about a month and Uh they were dominant i don't know what his role is going to be i think snit's the only one that can answer that i think does he slide into the rotation i don't know does he go into the bullpen i don't know i don't he has been a starter almost his whole life right um so i would assume that that i don't i i I don't even know because it, it could be a plan b i mean look ian start the other day he needed it he badly that was the question that i had is that maybe he takes ian's spot but after what ian did last time out my if, if ian had continued to struggle i think it would have been easier to say okay he maybe he needs to go to gwinnett but with that start that he had he bought himself another start didn't he at least yeah that's interesting because you, you you see things going a certain way and then one start and boom we want to see this guy again i don't know this at all but in the back of my mind i'm thinking are they using Ian Anderson as a trade piece right now to go and get something else? Could be. And they've got Odorizzi as a bit of insurance. Could be. I mean, who? I don't know. And look, I don't want anybody to, to yell anything, at me anything's or email possible. me. Right, that's yeah. what I'm saying. At this time of the year, you've just seen the greatest hitter in the world traded from the team with two years left of control mm-hmm. to another team in the same... <laughs> like... That stuff, that, that stuff didn't happen back yeah. in the day, and now it's happening on a regular basis. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, nothing's off the table at this point with three hours left before the trade deadline. And this is the perfect show to, d- to discuss the could-bes, the maybes, right. whether you, the, the things that may take place, and uh, who knows? I mean, we, well, we just saw Eric Hosmer just get offloaded. To, he's basically playing for the Red Sox now for, three, for free for the next three years. Yeah. 
So, again, that's a deal that you didn't see coming at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox are supposed to be in contention now. They're sellers. Mm-hmm. It, it's just baseball can, can flip on a dime, and it's the GMs that adjust the quicker. It's just like being on the field. It's the teams that can make the adjustments against the other team's plan the quickest that wins the game. Same as GMs. If you can pivot and go, you know what? Just like the Braves did last year. We went on a road trip. We came back. We're buyers. It can pivot that quickly, and and that's the crazy part of this time of year. And so many of those deals that Alex did last year happen within hours of the deadline itself. I mean, it got popping really late. Next thing you know, we got four or five new guys, and let's see what this turns into. So that's really exciting. Uh, speaking of exciting, we got to see Austin Riley locked up for 10 years yesterday. I, I'm so happy for Austin. Uh, so happy for the team because when you think about young talent, and, and I hope that you get to say this at the end of the year with uh, Dansby or down the road with Max, you want these guys here for a while. And looking at the infield, you got your first baseman, your second baseman, your third baseman locked up for a while, your right fielder's locked up for a while, your center fielder's not going anywhere anytime soon. So to have a core of guys who are all between 20, three and 28 years old that you know are going to be under team control for a long time is very exciting for the fan base exactly it shows them that they're going to be trying and going for it for at least the next four or five years because they have the core locked up and it's going to sound funny for me to say this but riley's deal is undervalued Mm -hmm. he took he took less money than if he had waited a couple years i don't know what the going average per year is going to be but you just saw Max Scherzer sign a deal for 45 million dollars per year as the premium pitcher on the market yeah what is the premium hitter going to be worth what's Aaron Judge going to be worth at the end of this year per year so for Alex to get that deal deal done right now for an Austin Riley MVP type in four years time we're going to look at that deal and go wow it's going to be like the Acuna deal yeah it really is and and I think this team has done such a great job of identifying those guys and giving them a contract where, yeah, that, that's going to keep them here for a while and it's going to make them very wealthy. But at the same time, you're not significantly overpaying for that guy. And, and it works out for everybody. And it, it allows you to be uh, very competitive for many years to come. And at the end of the day, I know there are lots of things that, that are factors for a player, but don't you want that more than anything? I mean, can you imagine how uh, how – unfun it's going to be in Washington right. or Pittsburgh right. or Detroit for the next couple of months. Nobody wants to be there. Did you happen to hear Joe Musgrove's interviews over the last couple of days after he signed his extension? Uh-huh. And, and you know, he said that I've heard nothing from or nothing but negative stuff from from fans and, and you know other agents saying that I left a ton of money on the table and this, that and the other. And at the end of the day, I got what I wanted to and I am gonna be in a place where I want to be for the next five years for a for a figure that I felt was very very fair, and I've set myself up and my family up, I'm happy, and it was so refreshing to hear that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do not fault anyone that goes out there and tries to get as much money as they possibly can because right. these guys, it's a business, and the 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 other side of the business is the team is trying to make as much as they possibly can. So it's you know it's a give and take. And depending on how old you are, and, and this is a, a perfect example using Joe Musgrove, that window is only open one time for some guys. I mean, once you're 28, 29, 30 years old, you might get one good crack at a big contract. For someone like Riley or Acuna, maybe you'll have another contract down the road, maybe. Uh, for Certainly for Matt Olson, this is probably that one window opportunity. And I don't fault those guys at all for yeah. getting whatever they can. It, it's about quality of life. And for Joe Musgrove, he's from San Diego. 
So it's perfect for him. I was so good that I just decided to sign minor league deals <laughs> from 2012 right the way to the end of my career. So I just wanted to give it the flexibility to every team that I went to. Right, exactly. This allows you to, to, to save some payroll to go get some other guys in here to help me win a championship. Just put the team on my back. Yeah, that's go. right. Well, before we jump into these questions, and by the way, I have some great questions for you, our, our fans. Uh, I told you I don't like to be I don't like to prepare I like to be hit right in the nose with these that's questions. exactly so what I we're gonna do the sheets I, our listeners to this show they they never disappoint they are extremely intelligent and once we put out that you're gonna be here they can I mean fastballs here's some great questions by the way our email address bravesbooth at gmail.com you can email us anytime as uh, Jay Chad's gonna join us here in a little while special guest Peter Moylan here with us today and um, we have this series with the Phillies tonight. Let's see, tonight, tomorrow, two game series. You're on the air with me tonight, tomorrow. Uh, Joe back for the upcoming road trip. But that road, that upcoming road trip, this this week is enormous. These two games with the Phillies, mm-hmm. they're red hot. And then you'll see the Mets nine times in the month of August, five in four days this coming week. And not to say that the division hinges on what happens right now, but it kind of does, doesn't it? I also just had a thought. We have a sixth starter ready to go into that gauntlet of that's a game right. period so maybe that saturday tip consecutive saturdays with double headers we've just added a starter uh for that maybe i mean obviously he's going to be here for the rest of the year but that's a perfect ad for this time of year because we've got so many games coming up it's a great point you're brilliant that's why we're on why we have you on, on the show man think about things like that um yeah really excited about this tonight but philly's going with a bullpen game this evening braves going with spencer strider and he's only six strikeouts back of Charlie Morton for the team lead. And I think he's in like eighth or ninth place in the league in strikeouts. In I, I want to say few, maybe 40 fewer innings in Corbin Burns who leads the league in strikeouts, something like that. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a better starter to have go through a lineup one time. <laughs> right. His numbers, first time through the lineup, have to be absolutely ridiculous. I can't wait to see him in postseason play. Me too. That'll be so much fun. A little bit more juice. Could yeah. you imagine a little adrenaline running through Here's that? Here's 103. That mustache <laughs> might start flapping. Yeah, it might. It really might. JC's joining us now. Good to see you, man. Hey, guys. Man, that voice. It's a man sounds who makes tender. it all happen. It sounds tender, doesn't it? He is... Um, he's not missed a game. Here we are, what, 103 into the season? JC's not missed a spring training game, hasn't missed a regular season game, and he's just here. He's the constant of our broadcast. He's our drummer. He keeps us in rhythm. You might break DiMaggio's streak. That's the goal. Is it? Yeah. I don't what like What about Ripken's streak? I'll, I'll take on all of them. We joke all the time that once he sets the record for consecutive broadcasts, his reward will be throwing out the first pitch of a game. I thought it was once I get to 1,000 consecutive games. 1,000? Okay. And I'm not far off. Yeah, let's get him down there. Are you gonna? It, my question is, how many weeks are you gonna prepare for that first? Probably pitch? about two. Are you gonna go to the mound? I don't know where. I, I don't know if I'll go all the way to the rubber or not, but I'm not gonna just toss it up there either. If you don't go all the way to the rubber, I will never speak to you. Okay, again. I'll go all the way to the rubber, <laughs> and I'm not like I said. I'm not just gonna toss not, it up there. Do you not remember that George W. Bush moment? Yeah, I do. Very you need well. that moment. Okay. You imagine that crowd, Jay Chad, Jay Chad, Jay Chad, <laughs> and he just beams a strike oh, right in there. It would be USA, good. USA, <laughs> it's coming. How many games do you think you're up to consecutively? I don't know. I'd have to go back and do the math. But um, he passed seven. When was 15? the last time you missed? 
Uh, since I've been in this role, I've never missed. I mean, it's got to be close to a thousand, and this is your fifth, fifth season. Yeah. And if we if we count postseason games, which I think we should, and spring training games. Yeah, you're you're up there, man. You're you're right in. Last right year was two hundred and seven games. That's because yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. When you had five seasons, we go into the postseason every year. Thirty whatever spring training games every year. That's pretty close. And of those games, Will Smith threw eleven shutout innings. In he the did. He was really last good. Year. That's right. That's right. All right, let's dive into some of these questions. We have a, a whole long list of questions, and some of these are great. Uh, Peter, yes. is Outback your favorite restaurant? That's from Travis. That is a question I get asked almost daily. But no, it's not one of my favorite restaurants. I have eaten there. I enjoy the food there. I have nothing against Outback Steakhouse. It's not Australian. I was about to say, is it really an Australian experience? I don't know what an Australian experience food experience is. I think it'll be more seafood and meat pies and that sort. Of, I don't are think are you not a um, blooming big, onion? Big blooming onion guy. <laughs> I'd never heard of a blooming onion until I came over here. <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm kinda, a big blooming onion guy. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like what the United States has done with Cinco de Mayo. You go sure. to Mexico for Cinco de Mayo, and like, what, what are you talking about? We're partying. Or what you guys have done with Foster's, or what? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. Pick any. Pick anything. Peter, when you're in America, do you sit backwards on the toilet? Rick. <laughs> That's called a reverse kanga. And no, I don't. <laughs> oh, man. These are some great questions. Peter, do all your tattoos have meaning? That's from Angela. Uh, now they do. The first few did not. No. Uh, I have a few that uh, I had to cover up that were... Just random stuff? Just random stuff. Like, like what? Like that you regretted? Uh, yeah. I mean... Um, I had my own name on me, that which was just in case. Because you, know, you forgot. You, you never know. <laughs> you know uh, I had a. I still have a Tasmanian devil on my calf that I won't get covered up, but I wish I could. Who would have thought Looney Tunes went out of fashion? I have. Um, I still have work to be done. Actually, I still have to color in. You see here. Uh-huh. Uh But yeah, it's. Most of them have meaning now. Has the same guy done most of this work? No, that's the other thing. I've changed so many times. My chest is my favorite piece because I really thought it out. I was able to, if you can see through the... Uh, the gray hair? The gray is that a hair. compass? That is a compass. I'll show you a photo of it, which will give you more of an idea. Uh, but it, I was able to think that one out. And if I give anybody advice, my one piece of advice about tattoos would be, please, please wait until you absolutely know what you really want to get. And I won't think that you would know that until you're at least in your mid-20s because there's so much to experience in life before you go and get tattoos. And I understand you can document that life by getting tattoos, but at the same time, if you sit back and I did, and I came up with an idea that was a description of my kids and my life and travel and everything else, and I feel like I, I nailed it because uh, I, I gave it a thought. What was so the first tattoo that you had? I got a, uh, I actually got an eight ball on my right really? shoulder, yes. Are you I, a big billiards player? I wasn't a pool player, no. <laughs> Uh, and I was 17 years old, yes. so I don't know why. It, the original tattoo had a rat standing on top of an eight ball. <laughs> and I decided to use my creative genius and cut the rat off and just go with the eight ball. So oh, that's, that's covered up. Yep. Right. You're crying over what it. Do you, what do you think the tattoo artist was thinking? Like, he's going to hate this. <laughs> this. A rat on top this, of an eight ball. This 17-year-old kid is really thinking this one through. Oh, is what my that guy gosh. Was thinking. All right, I'm looking at a picture of this tattoo here on your chest yes by the way as creepy as that sounds yeah. is this the uh the mask from gladiator it is it's That's the, tremendous it's, uh, it's the gladiator mask to just to because I, I i know you guys know my story and i know you know i've been through a lot so i wanted to get something to signify that and then the lion 
is looking over the pride, which is my kids, and every right. one of those things on there describes my kid in some way or fashion. So um, it's, yeah. I just want to have a bet with JC that if he loses, he has to get an eight ball with, <laughs> with a rat on top of it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. On his forehead. Yes. <laughs> you got one you want to throw in there, JC? Question wise? Uh, yeah, here's another one for Peter. Peter, who's your favorite teammate of all time? Oh, man. <sighs> Look, I, if I'm honest, I have to. I have to. I'm gonna, I don't like to single people out because I've had so many, but I think if I'm honest, it's Chris Medman. Chris and I still have a, a friendship that, you know, uh, I cherish. We still speak a couple of times a week, if not every day. Um, and I think since 2010, uh, he came up and him and Tommy Hansen were so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and I just really enjoyed my role of taking them under my wing and, and, and showing them what, it, what it's all about. Two great guys, man. Yeah. Um, had them in minor league ball when yeah. I was doing the, the Mississippi Braves. Had Tommy when he came up and uh, God rest his soul, man. What a He was awesome. And, and, and he and Chris had such a great bond. Yep. And they're so fun to be around and Opposites so infectious. Attract. Yeah. Six Big foot time. six redhead and a and a five foot ten <laughs> tan built like a brick house Chris Medlin. Yeah. Awesome. I had fun seeing Medlin when he was here a couple of days ago for yeah. alumni weekend. And he's done some work with us in the past. And he is so much fun yeah. to be around. And I have to tell you quickly, when Medlin worked with us a few years ago, we were in San Francisco and you may have still been playing. I probably was. Um, he and I decided that we were going to take an Uber across the Golden Gate Bridge into Sausalito for lunch. So we go over there for lunch, and to this day, I think it's single-handedly the most expensive lunch I've ever been a part of. <laughs> we went to some sushi place, and I'm not kidding you, uh, I think lunch was like 800 bucks. Y'all yes. threw down. We did. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Chris has never said no to a good time ever in his life. And if you want a good time, you need to invite Chris because he will take care of it. Absolutely. Yeah. He was eating this just rare sushi that you can only get in Otoro. so many. I mean, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And, yeah, it was very, very expensive. All right. The answer to this question can't be uh, an eight ball tattoo with a rat on top of it. Peter, what was your dumbest big league purchase? That's from Erica. Oh, uh, I actually bought... While I was under the influence of alcohol, at two o'clock in the morning, a Jeep on eBay from <laughs> Alabama that I didn't realize was in Alabama until I woke up in the morning and I got the email saying, you've, been, you've won. And then I jumped in my car and drove to Alabama and picked up a Jeep. <laughs> Do you still have the Jeep? No, I just sold it. It was the white one that I just sold. Really? Yes. Oh, but the problem great. was, I already had another Jeep at the time, so I was upgrading my already purchased Jeep. But it wasn't an expensive Jeep; they were they were very, very cheap Jeeps. I mean, usually when people make drunken purchases at two a.m., it, it's something off of Amazon. You go for full-on vehicles in Alabama. I was on eBay. eBay was a problem for me at a time. Uh, it was so handy, um, and I didn't. Once you realize that you could buy things like cars on there, I, I really took advantage. <laughs> you went to, went really hard in the paint on eBay. Peter, I'm curious, what do you really think about Ben and Jay Chad? Are they weird? You know, we're very weird. Uh, if you had to share a room with one of them on a road trip, who would you pick? Yep. On last week's episode of From the Braves Booth, they both said you were the funniest member on the TV side. That's from Ed. Not even close to – I'm sorry, Jay Chad, but I'm going to pick Ben. Uh, uh, just for you, – you seem very particular with the way that you like the room, the way that you like the bed, the way that you it's like very yourself. orderly. 
very orderly. Where the suitcase goes. Right. And I feel like I'm the same way, but I don't like to feel pressure from other people's expectations. I like to have my own. Fair enough. Yeah. So I'd pick Ben for that. And these two are unbelievable guys. I enjoy every minute I get to spend with them. I come in, I make sure I come and say hello to them every single day, even if I'm not seeing them or working them, because they are two of my favorite people in Braves country. We have a good time in this booth. And and it's funny how everybody just comes in here and we just hang out. Yes. It's people ask me all the time like man tell me about your 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 job and I say well first off it this isn't work this yeah. isn't a this is a career it's not a job. Yeah. You've had a job. You're a pharmaceutical sales rep. I was. We've had jobs. This is the best job I've ever had. Uh, it's not even whatever second place is a distant second. So when we get to come in and hang out and we're talking about the game or whatever else um and that's the best part of the day for me. I have five jobs and I can't pick a favorite because they're all equally as fun. But the fact that I get to come here every day as part of all of them, except for obviously my managing job, it just means everybody's on the same. I feel like we all get on together. TV side yeah. gets on, radio side gets on. We all have a good time. Everybody goes out together. It's good. It's a it's a great We travel together. Yeah. and We see each other as much or more so when we see our own friends and family yep. a lot of times. And in that process, we become friends and yeah. family, you know? I like this question, and Peter's obviously the only one qualified to answer this question. What is the vibes like in the clubhouse on deadline day, especially for guys who are likely to be moved? Great question. Uh, I don't know because I don't. The one time that I may have been likely to have been moved, I didn't know that I was have likely to have been moved, and that was early on in my career. But now, I, I can't imagine what it's like. To, we saw the comments from. I'm not sure if you saw the interview with Joey Galley the other day, and someone asked him. They said, "Hey." Do you walk around Manhattan or... I saw this. And he said, no, I don't feel like I can show my face around the city at the moment. And that just, that's just... That's the human sad. element. That's the human element that people forget, right? There's... I know it's about baseball teams and players and everybody's moving. It's part of the business and I get that. And he's accepted it. He never complained one time about it. He didn't say a bad word. He just said, I just prefer not to show my face because I don't want to have to deal with it. And that's fair enough too. So, But as far as that clubhouse goes, every team that's in it is staring at MLB Network or MLB Network Radio or 680 The Fan. They're just like us, refreshing Twitter. absolutely waiting for the news to hit that their team got someone. Would they? Would there be cases where they'd find out there before their agent called them that they were traded? There has been cases. They prefer that not to be the case. Right. You see the... The, the Vasquez thing is in the yeah. middle of an interview yesterday. They and pulled they him right out of the interview. Dragged him out of the interview. And then, then he had to go to the other locker room where they just finished a hitters <laughs> meeting about the whole team. And he's going to forget how they're going to attack him? No, he's going to go in there and tell them exactly what's going to happen. So that's the the fun and crazy part about this time. But we are just like you guys, legitimately, especially if you're in it, because you just know that there could be that one little piece like last year, one or six pieces that changes your whole team and sends you towards... The World Series, because mm-hmm. this is what sent us to the World Series. We went after this date. Yeah, you know who could gr- give us great insight on the trade deadline is Jesse Chavez. Oh my goodness, he's been traded nine times. He's probably sitting down there some trade deadlines with running through coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> just pre- well, at this point, he's he'd be old hat for him. He's just sitting there packed his bags ready <laughs> right. to go somewhere. I think I read today that he's the most traded player of all time. Probably, but Octavio Dotel might have had more uniform numbers than him. That might be the or uniforms that might, or Edwin Jackson or Octavio Dotel. One of those two guys, all it's relievers. A good club, yeah. I mean, th- those or, guys. Actually, Edwin was a starter towards the end. Yeah, and but they could give you some great stories. Oh my goodness! I mean, I, I bet those three guys combined have been traded about 25, 30 times. The crazy part you have to think about too is that you you have moved your life. Say you've been in a city for a couple of years. 
say you're in, a, in the middle of a five-year deal with a team. You've purchased a house in the city. You live there with your family. You may have moved your family here. You may have entered your kids in school. You may have done all that. You've moved, adjusted your life to this point. In 12 hours, you could have to have packed everything up and moved to a completely different city. All right, we have a question about that, and I want to ask you because you can give us some good insight on that. Uh, give me two seconds, and I'll find that. It was a question about – here it is. Um, hi, guys. Love the podcast. When a player gets traded in the middle of a road trip – does the team help them in packing up their apartment or house? And does the team help them find housing in their new city? That's from Rachel. How does that work? The new team helps them find – the way it works uh, as far as the Players Association and the ownership goes is that the team has to give you a week in a hotel when you get called up to a new city to find your footing. I don't know that they have to supply you help in packing. Uh, I'm sure that it's a write-off. Uh, maybe it's an expense that they will pay for. I'm not sure. Maybe you – tally up all the expenses and you send it to the old team or you send it to the new team. I know that the player would not be out of pocket for any of the moving expenses. I just know that sometimes, you know, the wives are a, a lot of the time left responsible for a lot of this stuff. So, you know, this is a tough time for them as well. All families. Okay, well, let's let's take Robbie Grossman, for example. Yep. He just gets traded from Detroit to here. We leave tomorrow and then we're gone for two weeks and he's going to be with us. Does his week in the hotel start when we get back? Yes, as soon as you get back. So he would probably not even come here. He's probably in the middle of packing everything right now, organizing himself for that two-week road trip. Uh-huh. He'll more than likely either meet you in a city. He may fly here tomorrow to jump on the plane. Right. Or meet you guys in uh, the first city, which is New York. I mean, we might meet you guys in New York. There's really no way around it. It's chaos. It's chaos. It, it doesn't matter if you have a ton of help packing you up or a team helping you get a hotel. It's still chaos. You just have a little bit of help along the way. Sure. It's tough for, for those minor league guys too. Uh, yeah. You know, that's even because they, they don't have the resources that, that we have right now and they're sort of just getting told where to go and what to do and, and a lot of help is thrown their way as far as organizations helping them. What role do you see Ada Adrianza filling for the rest of the season for the Braves? That's from Rob. Just depth on the infield? I think it's depth on the infield. It has to be depth on the infield. Um, he may get a couple of starts at second base, um, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, that's yet to be seen. It's gonna be, he, he was really good for us last year. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy that we got him back. Uh, he knows us. We know him. It's kind of like a Jesse show. He's got to be happy, too. Oh, yeah. He yeah. just went from the bottom of the standings to in contention. And he can play at least five positions. Yep. Yeah. Flexibility, just like Odorizzi, just like it. It's all about flexibility at this mm-hmm. stage. That's true. Hey, guys, love the podcast, and I thoroughly enjoy the work you contribute to Braves Radio Network broadcasts. In my opinion, you're the best radio crew in the business. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I are headed to Boston for our anniversary, which means to coincide with the Braves' two-game series at Fenway. Other than going to games, from your own personal experiences, what are your can't-miss experiences, attractions, and dining options in Boston? We like fresh local food, cigar lounges, walking off the beaten path, that kind of thing. Thanks in advance. That's from David in LJ. Well, you got to go to the north end. You guys have been to Boston more than I have, so I promise you. I'm going to leave this one to you guys. I think, I, I think I've communicated with David before over Twitter um, because we talked cigars before. Uh, Stanza de Cigari. North End Cigar Bar in uh, Boston. Maybe my favorite cigar bar in America. Really? It is awesome. It's like going into a, a, a bomb shelter and or, or maybe some kind of a prohibition-style speakeasy. You know, you go down these stairs. It's 
subterranean Boston. I mean, you're under the street level in this brick room, and they got a gigantic bourbon and whiskey list. They have tons of cigars. Great spot. I will be going there the night of the off day. Um, so it Monday might sound a, yeah Monday night. So Tuesday's broadcast might sound a little <laughs> bit uh, raspy. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, it's a good spot. Um, Alex did it again. How did he? How do he and his team keep things under wraps like they do? The Riley extension came out of nowhere. That's from Kevin. I, I think look, stealth is wealth, and, and he works in stealth, man. And he's made some really good decisions for this ball club. And that's not with just the signings. That goes to the trade deadline too. And he's as good as anybody of, of keeping things tight. And I think in order to do that, Pete, it's not just about you keeping things tight. It's about the guys around you and making sure they're not letting things out and leaking information. Yeah, the way you keep secrets is not tell many people, and that's what Alex does. Or the people, as you said, the people around him are very trustworthy. It's a, it's, since Alex has come to this organization, you don't hear any of the, the rumors about Braves. It's, right. it's, it's crazy. It just happens, and it's it like, wow, I just never saw that one coming. And a lot of that stuff is obviously planted by agents and teams as well, so let's not kid ourselves, but you genuinely never hear, Braves are interested in signing Juan Soto. Right, exactly. Well, that's all you heard about. I mean, when, when Soto was traded to the Padres, I don't think it shocked anybody because for the last 10 days, all I've been hearing about is how the Padres are most likely going to land him. And A.J. Preller's wanted Juan Soto ever, ever since he was a prospect. Um, and when it came to the prospect capital to land Juan Soto, there weren't too many teams that really had a proper package. The Cardinals, it w- if they were willing to give up, and I think one more big league ready player might have. Yeah. I think they had. I think Dylan they really Carlson. Give up Dylan Carlson. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'd been interesting, and which is going to be great now because we don't have to see Juan Soto all the times that we would over the course of seeing the Nationals. Um, so we'll let the Dodgers and the Giants and and the Diamondbacks and Rockies deal with him. Here's one from Ken. Is Tyler Matzik back to being Tyler Matzik, or does he still need to check another box or two off before he's back to being Tyler Matzik? I think he still needs to check a couple of boxes off. I think they needs to. I think their trust needs to be earned back as well. He's not throwing in the situations that we're used to seeing Tyler Matzik, but that's okay as well because we've got other guys that have filled that role. There's other roles in the bullpen that need to be filled. We've seen him throw multiple innings. We've seen him come in and get one inning. We've seen him being up to 95, we've seen him not quite get there. I think the next step for Tyler Madzik would be either a back-to-back appearance in a high leverage situation. Uh, that's when I'll know he'll be back. Right. But I don't need him to be back until September. I right. don't need him to be back until when he's, re- when he's ready and raring to go. I know I've seen what he can do. So I'm not worried about where he's at right now. I know he'll get there when the time's ready. Well, generally, the lasting impression is the last thing that you saw. Well, the Tyler that we saw in October, November was the best we saw him last year. He wasn't that through the season. He was good, but he was slowly getting better and better, and I'm fine with seeing that. I mean, if I can get some outs out of him between now and the end of September, great, but be back to that person that you were come the postseason. And last year was a gauntlet for these guys too. The playoffs are not only extra baseball, it's extra intensity with extra baseball. So you're talking about maybe an extra 20 appearances, but Uh it could be – 40 appearances on your arm so for him to be able to get this little time off to recover he's going to be they say now i say this in quotations but they say that the amount of time that you are off that's the amount of time times two that it's going to take you to get back to where you were if you stop throwing and you're not able to throw that's why i didn't stop throwing in the off season really ever i'd take maybe a week to 10 days off throwing and then i'd have to start throwing again because the more you take off the harder so if you missed a month you'd need two months 
That's what it feels like. Okay. That's interesting. And and he missed – how much time did he miss? It was almost about five weeks, six weeks when okay. it was all said and done, I think. At least. It seems like it could have been longer. Yeah. So getting to double of that wouldn't be until September, I don't Perfect think. Perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a pretty humorous question. When I think of all the managers in the National League East, I think Snit could kick all their asses. Am I right? That's from Will. <laughs> He's got Snit winning a, a Royal Rumble out of all the National League managers. National League. Ooh, well, I mean, geez. look, let's start with the Mets. Buck Showalter. Yeah, he'll kick his ass. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's shorter than me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob Thompson, another one. He's Snit. just an interim. He yeah. doesn't even count. Yeah, he doesn't even count. Beautiful. Next. Uh, Dave Martinez. Ooh, that's a tough that's one. A slug fest. That's a slugfest. That, that, that's, that's Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa. Couple of haymakers. I'm gonna go snee or snee. I'm gonna go snit wins, just like uh, Stallone beat Creed there in Rocky II. Okay, Gets and then up at, the, uh, at the bell. Finally, Don Mattingly. Donnie baseball was he's pretty smooth, but I don't know if he's got it in him anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think snit. It's not Gabe Kapler. I think snit runs through all of them. All right. I like where Will's going with that. Yes. What a great question. If you guys were to indulge in only one dessert for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Oh man. You can only have one. Oh, can I add as much to that one as I want? Sure. I don't think I'm, I'm going red velvet cake. Are you really? Yeah. It's in my final four, too. No. I don't know if it wins. I'm not a big dessert guy. Yeah, I am. Great question for you, then. Yeah, I, I've got... Um, Are we talking, like, at-home desserts or restaurant like desserts? If you go to, let's say if you go to a restaurant. Okay. Can... I'm going to go with Bananas Foster. I'm going to go with tiramisu. Tableside Bananas Foster. Proper. Proper. Yeah, I like that. Now, if we're going home... You're diving into the ice I'm cream? I'm diving into the chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream with magic shell on top. What's magic shell? Oh, my goodness. You know the stuff that turns hard chocolate? Oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm probably giving myself diseases every time I eat it because it's not real food. So kind of like a, a Dairy Queen dip cone? It's effectively chocolate-flavored plastic that I'm putting on my ice cream. That sounds perfect. It's so good. I mean, if you're going to go all in on a dessert, let's do it. I'm not there to be healthy. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Peter, what are you looking forward to most on your maiden radio voyage? That's from Todd. The flow of the game. I'm really interested in I, – I've listened to a ton of radio, and I know that there's not a lot of interruptions, and I'm really looking forward to just listening to, to Ben do his thing and me being able to chime in and hopefully teach you guys something. Oh, uh, you will. I've, I've – I've, experienced everything that there is to experience in this game of baseball whether it be minor leagues big leagues on the field off the field good bad ugly you name it i've done it and i feel like i've learned more since i've stopped playing than i did during my playing career yeah do you do you feel that looking back on it all when it comes to some of your best stories things that happen on road trips off the field in a clubhouse whatever did some of the better stories happen lower in minor leagues than they did towards the, the higher levels or even the big leagues? So I, my story was different because I went straight to AAA effectively. I had two years in rookie ball where I was still trying to find my feet when I was mm-hmm. 17 years old. We all know this, how that ended. Then I went home for so long. Then I came back and it, I, I went straight to AAA. So my stories were great in AAA. I actually said at one point in 2006, because I had so much fun in Richmond and I didn't enjoy myself in the big leagues because I wasn't I wasn't received well my first time around because of the whole rookie thing and I was an older guy and I didn't like being treated like that anyway. So I wanted to be 
in AAA for in 2006 because I was having more fun. Um, it was simple as that. So, but as I got more comfortable up here, and as 2007 came around, and as I proved myself a little more, and guys accepted me, then I realized that that this is way more fun up here. Was that challenging to to be accepted? Yes. Uh, you know, my personality can be big, large, and yeah. when people don't know me or know me from a bar of soap, then that can be overbearing, especially coming into an environment like a major league clubhouse where you sort of, as if you're new, you sit over there and you don't say much and you just be told what to do. Did right. these people like not like to laugh or? No, it was just my sense of humor was different. And I was, and I took some adjusting as well because, you know, I, I it, Walking into a clubhouse with Chipper Jones, uh, Andrew Jones, John Smoltz, uh, Tim Hudson, and I'm Peter Moylan. They're like, and, I, and I'm still myself, acting like I'm just owning the club. Like they're like, calm down a little bit, mate. So that <laughs> took a little adjustment for everybody. And once I adjusted, I, I realized that uh, you know it was all in good fun. Here's one from Haley, Peter. Do you fear magpies? Uh, I did as a kid without a helmet. Uh, do, you, do you want me to explain? Yes. Okay, so magpies are a bird in Australia and there's a certain time of the year where it's called swooping season where you would ride your bike to school and on your way to school, these magpies come down from the tree while they're having their babies and they swoop you and they try and... I think that people have actually been hurt where they try to like clump bits, bits of your hair. But well, you guys, get a talon to your head? Yeah, not ta- they're not talons. <laughs> like they're little claws. Isn't <laughs> okay, I don't know what this bird looks like. Right, it's a, t- it's a regular-sized bird. I'll, okay. We'll get one up. There's actually a football team in Melbourne that's named after them. It's called the Collingwood Magpies. So this is a magpie. So when you would ride to school, if you didn't have your helmet on, you were a little leery. If you didn't have your, hear- if you didn't have your helmet on, you were going as fast as you possibly could because they were coming for you. That's a magpie. Swooping season. Swooping season. So guys would draw faces on the top of their helmets so that the birds would think that the eyes are looking at them. And that would work? And they wouldn't swoop. Yeah. Really? Something. Yeah. But occasionally, back in the day, you'd forget your helmet. We're talking about in the 80s and early 90s. So everybody had a helmet with a face on the top of it. Not everybody, but the smart ones did. That's crazy. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Great question. And you, great, good for you to add. You looked at that and go, what's a magpie? Well, might as well ask this. That's why you're the best, Jay Chan. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Hey guys, I was listening to episode 30. I appreciated the explanation about front door and back door sliders. Uh, Pete can tell you all about those. Braves 400 fan club got into this discussion, I think on our trip to Cooperstown. And I think the very knowledgeable Wayne Coleman offered this explanation, but it may have been another member visualize home plate as a house. So the front door would be the closest to the hitter and the back door furthest away as to the kitchen reference, a lot of old homes like ours have the front door opening into the kitchen. This may be too simplistic based on the information Joe provided, but it has given me an opportunity to see the pitch and understand how it is breaking in relation to the hitter. Uh, and that's from Lois in Austell. We had a question last week, Pete, about people asking about what's the difference in a front door and a back door breaking ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, that's something that you specialized in. I mean, you're a, a specialist, and coming down from down low the way that you did – it's all about the front door and back door for you, wasn't it? Absolutely. I used to I used to live in the back door, especially, I mean, not deliberately half the time. I would spin off. It would be a, a cement mixer that would end up on the inside. and then. Uh, but obviously, my bread and butter was trying to get that thing on the outside. Uh, that, yeah. that big sweeping, that big sweeping breaking ball was... Would you know when, you, when it came off of your finger that it was a good one? Yep, 100%, without question. And sometimes I'd cut myself because 
of how many sliders that I'd throw. But yeah, you could definitely tell as soon as it left your fingers whether it was a good one. Was that pitch always there for you? No, I had to. I didn't. I had to. My original. I grew up throwing over the top. Uh -huh. The first time over here, I threw over the top. I was a starter. And then uh, I had to drop down because of my two back surgeries. Right. I, I needed pitching in my team that I was coaching. So it was pure chance and luck that I even dropped down in the first place. So when I first started, all I had was a grip it with four seams and throw it as hard as you can. And then I had to teach myself how to throw other, other pitches. Every baseball player has messed around dropping down and trying to throw a big sweeping slider when you're playing catch. Right. It's, just what, it's just what you do as a kid. So I had a feel for, for somewhat of a breaking ball, but I just really had to tune it in. Have you found, and I'm sure you've had lots of conversations with Darren O'Day, how similar your two stories are? Yes. Because he was very, he was over the top. Yep. And then I, I think he was going to Florida and then didn't make the team. And then next thing you know, he's playing in a men's league and throwing from down under. Yep. And he's in the big leagues. Yep. And it's amazing that you would tap into something like that. And it's, you had to feel like you, you discovered gold. Sure. But at the same time, as is the same with him, we has to also figure out how to stay. If the gimmick's one thing, right? You drop your arm down and you can find a different arm angle, but you also have to get guys out. You have to figure out a way to, you know, it's it's not just about being funky. Right. He found a different, a totally different way to use the arm angle. He elevated his fastball and was able to work the top of the zone, whereas I was always bottom of the zone. He didn't have the big sweeping slider. He had more of the the upshoot, the the more of a cutting slider, whereas mine was more of that traditional big sweeper. Yeah. So same arm angles, but two completely different pitches. That's cool. And you, you, you discover that by just tinkering with different things and experimenting. I was in the outfield at Blackburn Baseball Club with David and Andrew Tierney, twins who played on my team. One of them had a glove, a Rawlings glove with the orange outline and was called the hot zone. I will never forget it. We're out there and I'm just trying to hit the hot zone from a sidearm angle. Jumped on the mound about five minutes later. Felt pretty good. Next week, I put myself in a game and I've got a 14-year big league career. Wow. That's cool. All started with the hot zone, man. Hot zone. <laughs> Here's a question from Ed and Linda in Flowery Branch. When a player is DFA'd, who has the responsibility to notify the player? Is it the manager? Is it the general manager? And what is that discussion like? Keep up the excellent work with the podcast. My wife and I feel like we learned so much about behind-the-scenes workings of the baseball and radio broadcasting world. And again, that's Ed and Linda in Flowery Branch. Uh, I have been sent down by managers and a manager and a GM. Uh, I've never had just the GM send me out. Um, but yeah, it's obviously not a good job. But I think if you've ever seen that scene from Moneyball, yeah, where they just say, treat it like a business, they're humans, just explain it, they'll accept it. And that's effectively how it is. There's, there's been one time where I was told that I was being sent out where I did not accept it and I tried to fight but most of the time it was just yeah yeah i get it what was brad pitt's line i think he said would you rather be shot once in the head or five times in the stomach <laughs> like, like just do just del deliver the, the news to the That's guy perfect and, yeah oh uh, we got time for a couple of more you see one that's jumping out at you jc yeah this comes from drew what would you do with 212 million dollars whatever i wanted hmm. <laughs> oh man can you give me a minute to think about it sure we can come back I have some okay. great vacations i mean there, there wouldn't be a place in the world that i wanted to go that i didn't go check out that's for sure and i fly sure. private the whole time yeah 
You'd have to. That's that's what that's what schedule. I'd do. I'd spend two hundred and twelve million dollars on private flights. Perfect. That sounds fun. And I'd help out some It'd kids. Invite us. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd help out some kids. I'd have to put some to charity, of course. Um <laughs> uh, let's see here. Is there a catching combo in baseball better than Travis and William? That's from Keith. I don't think so. I mean, they're, no. the production they're putting up, pretty amazing. You feel there are some teams where if you have to go with your backup catcher, it's like, no, oh, we're just going to roll the dice on this one. But we we can't run our other guy out there 162 times. I don't think you feel that at all with the two that the Braves have. I think the I think the Braves have found something with the 50-50 with Zook and mm-hmm. and with Flowers that that kind of. That when it ended up being 50-50, that worked because everybody got equal rest time. It wasn't like they were fighting or competing. It was more about, hey, let's let's use this as a... Both of them were at a point in their career where they didn't have to prove anything, I think, too, which was important. Uh, and I think Williams accepted his role. He knows that he could be in AAA had it not been for the injury yeah. to Manny Pena. But he's taken full advantage, made himself an all-star, and he's continued to rake, especially in the last, what, last time out. Ooh. Yeah, he was great. Here's a great question for you, Pete. If a pitch is in the strike zone, why doesn't an umpire call a strike? Many times announcers say he missed his spot and the ump did not give it to him. Seems to me a strike is a strike regardless. Please elaborate. Thanks, Leland. Yeah, that would that that's a really, really great question. I think this is the difference that you're going to see, and this is why a lot of people are screaming for robo-umps is because they think that everything in that little box should be a strike. But I'm of the feeling where if – and I say this all the time. It's not a hit-your-spot zone. It's a strike zone. But – if you miss your spot by enough where it forces the catcher to move so much that it forces the umpire to lose sight of the fact that it is a strike or it, the, his, the catcher's movement causes the umpire to think that it missed the strike zone at least, then I feel like you shouldn't get rewarded for it. Because he doesn't see that box. No, he doesn't We're watching see the box. The, like, how did he miss that? Right. Well, there's no superimposed graphic up there for him. Think about it this way. You're trying to throw a fastball low and away, so the catch is set up all the way to the, if you're standing behind, all the way to the right-hand side of pitching plate. And if he throws a fastball and he's just a little bit off his timing and he lets it go a little bit further back behind, that fastball is going to be up and in and could possibly clip the top right-hand corner of the strike zone. But if you're an umpire, you're, you've moved behind the catcher all the way over to the right side of the plate. So if he misses, you're not where you normally would be in the middle. You've set up further to the right. So you can't see that pitch right. inside anyway. Did you have a preference when it came to umpire etiquette in terms of where they set up? You didn't I, really care. I didn't even know that they were there. Yeah, I was looking at the, and this sounds silly. Obviously, there was a big mass, but I couldn't differentiate between what was the catch and what was the umpire. You just saw the mitt, your target. Mass. I'm going to my target. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I I look back at baseball from years ago, and you would have umpires, and obviously catchers move around a lot more now than they did 50 years ago. But they had the big shield, and they'd set up in the same. Didn't matter where the catcher set up. They're right down the middle, and if they took a foul ball, they're going to catch it in the shield or the mask, and they're going to be okay. Now they we don't have that anymore. They're wearing a chest protector under their shirt, so they're going to be setting up behind the catcher, and that's how they're trained now. Mm. And yeah, it gives them a good look at where the target is. But if you miss a target, you might miss a strike, even though it's in the zone. So it's uh, it's curious. To, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, old footage sometimes, just to see the evolution of, of umpires and where they stand. I think it's been tough for them too because there's been a shifting of the zone a little bit. There was a time where you know it, you could get that strike almost to the bottom of the knee, and now that's kind of lifted up a little bit, it's top of the knee now. Yeah, you still do to get the occasional low strike, but they've also shifted the strike zone up higher, so they've had to shift their sights a bit. I think genuinely, 
umpires do a really good job. Occasionally, you get a night where you see on those MLB scorecards where a guy's got 99% of them right. He might have missed one or two calls all right. night. That's incredible to me. Yeah, it is. And those guys need to be celebrated. And flip side, the guys that mess up as much as we've seen a couple of times, consistently getting calls wrong on the field and having to get their thing overturned, consistently being in the 80s with their, with their whether it be consistency of strike calls or strikes in the zone, out the zone, uh-huh. I just think that they need to be reprimanded or sent down to learn or taught or trained or, or get... I don't think they should lose their jobs. I just think they should be trained to be better. Yeah. Well, and two, uh, they are under the microscope now more than ever. Because now every single game is televised. Every single game, the viewers have that superimposed strike zone on there. We have sites like Ump Scorecards where fans are looking back and looking at the data. Even game day has yes. every pitch where it's supposed to be located. 40 years ago, not every game was on TV. And you certainly didn't have the internet. So they weren't under the microscope the way that they are now. You take a quick screenshot. I've done it myself. I've been guilty of it. I've taken a screenshot of the game day and where the balls have been placed. Right. Who knows if that's accurate? Right. I'm, I'm ranting and I want to get my point out and say that they were wrong and I was wrong. Right. <laughs> exactly. I feel like we, we fight that battle on a nightly basis sometimes. Well, we are pretty much out of time. And this is a great way for you to break in into the radio booth, by the way. I don't think anybody has ever made their Braves Radio Network debut on the podcast. Wow. And you did a, that. I'm an individual. You know that. Trench, that was Ed. fun. That was so fun. That was good. Um, and, of course, we'll be doing another one of these on our next road trip. We're going to be gone for about a month. <laughs> At least it feels that way. We go to New York for five games in four days. We go to Boston for three days. One of those days, an off day. And then we will play four games in three days in Miami. So um, You've got a gauntlet. We do. We do. I'll be ready for it, man. And uh, by the time we get back, It'll be interesting to see what the standings look like. I'm really excited to see what it's going to when it. I, obviously, we have to take care of business. We have to. We've got to, this. I call this a redemption series against the Phillies because yeah. we need to pay them back. We need to sweep the two two game series, and then we need to head off to New York. Positive vibes heading up there. Jake Odorizzi starts game three. We got. Oh man, it's all. That'll written. be good. And we're going to have to face Degrom and Scherzer at some point, so that's going to be interesting. But we've seen enough of Scherzer. I feel confident about that. Who knows what Degrom's going to be? Uh, I dare say he's probably going to be brilliant. It's going to be a lot better than an eight-ball tattoo with a rat it on top sure of it. sure is. Absolutely. Well, that'll wrap things up for us. For Peter Moylan, for Jonathan Chadwick, I'm Ben Ingram. You've been inside the Braves booth.